Hi, everyone. My name is Shannon Calder, licensed therapist, and I'm joined by Dr. Kathy Barrett, forensic psychologist. We talk about all topics from a psychological perspective. Welcome to Terror Talk. Hi, everybody. This is Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hello, hello. Hello. Today on the show, we are going to talk about Dr. Sleep, which is the 2019 movie based on the Stephen King novel of the same name. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Did you? I did. I felt like um, even though it was two and a half hours long, it felt it didn't feel that way to me. Yeah, that's good. I mean, yeah. that's good, right? That's a long movie for me to sit through. It is, but I think uh, I think it was well crafted. Uh, I know that it's losing money at the box office, unfortunately. I heard that. But um, I have a feeling that might be because of some maybe kind of lackluster review. I think they're trying to they're trying to make it like it's going to be as good as The Shining, and The Shining has become cult like status. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's too high of a. Sure. A bar. And it's a different movie and a different kind of filmmaker. I don't know. Anyway, so this is the sequel to the King's book, The Shining, and the Kubrick film, The Shining. So Dr. Sleep uh, was written and directed by Mike Flanagan, who, I mean, we like Mike Flanagan because he did a lot of The Haunting of Hill House, um, Absentia. Mm -hmm. So there's some... and. And, and in true Flanagan form, he writes, directs, and edits his films and different mm. things. So there's a lot There's a lot to do. I, I mean, I, I know a lot of n newer filmmakers do that. Anyway, I'm sure some of the old ones do too, but I know it's been a thing of late. Um, this film also stars uh, Ewan McGregor, who I don't think I have to explain who that is, <laughs> uh, and Rebecca Ferguson, who plays Rose the Hat. She was amazing. She's the villain. So uh, you may have seen her in The Girl on the Train. She plays the wife, the real-life wife, mm -hmm. um, and a couple of the Mission Impossible films, and among others. But she's no. she's one of those people you might say, that, that person but yeah. you might not exactly know where you saw her. But anyway, she's she's fantastic. And it's an amazing part for she, her. She like, uh, I, I, won't, I don't want to say she carried it because there were so many great actors in this. But I was pleasantly surprised that the villain yeah. actually kept me that. Well, I, I agreed. I, I mean, she's fantastic in it. But what I would say is, the reason why I was saying it was a good part is that one of the things I think that this movie does successfully which I'm a fan of in there's been several kind of newer movies that are doing this again is having the villains be multifaceted and really yeah. and fleshed out. Yeah. Because of course in the book or they gets, are, or it gets boring. Yeah. I mean in the book they are of course, cause you don't write 500 plus pages and not have fully formed people, characters mm -hmm. of all walks of life. Plus, that's just a king thing. I mean, you get, if you read the book, you get into the minutia of everyone's deal. Mm -hmm. And I thought that it was well done in that they they didn't cut any of that. Well, they cut a lot of it, of course, because it's not a book. But they didn't cut the well-developed characters out of that. Because having developed villains is scarier. It is. It's just scary. It's just better. It makes a better movie, and it's scary, and it makes the climactic scenes more interesting. Well, and there are even parts of it where clearly I, it's not that I was necessarily rooting for her, but there were moments I was rooting for her. Yeah. <laughs> Get him. Oh, wait, no. 
because she was <laughs> she was um a full person. Yes. She was integrated. She wasn't just, this is bad. This is the bad person. This yeah. You is- sort of see a little bit about how, she, and you see more of it in the book, but you see definitely in the movie enough of like how she got there and how long she's been around. And and she was a strong female villain. I think mm-hmm. sometimes they try to just use like hypersexualize a female yes. villain. And that was not at all what her character was about. No, I mean, there was, that was a part of who she was, but it wasn't a part that um, they overemphasized. There's, yeah. She, she was no more, um, I guess, her attract her attractiveness was no more concentrated on than she would have if she would have been a male character, I guess. Exactly. And no more than just a regular human being. Right. You know, there's, of course, two or three times as her character is developing where you can tell she's being seductive. Yeah. But that's true of everyone. And most villains. <laughs> yeah. And most villains, right? Most narcissists. Narcissisms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Narcissisms. narcissisms. Most narcissisms. <laughs> yes, them too. Um, the other actor I would specifically mention is a newcomer, 13-year-old oh Kylie Curran, which I don't know if I'm pronouncing that she right. She was so good. You know, I don't always love kids on screen. Neither do I. Um, but being a huge Stephen King fan, I've had to get used to them over the years because he often tells stories about young people. Uh, but she was really good. Really likable and really mature mm-hmm. in her performance. So I, even though we know we're watching a 13-year-old, year, right? Kids, yes. something like that. That she had a... Because of her abilities, too, there was an old soul quality yeah. already there. You bet. So she didn't appear like a 13-year-old kid. No, I thought she was really well done, and I have a feeling she's got a career ahead she of her. She certainly does. Because <laughs> this is a great role, for one. Mm-hmm. She got to be, um, you know, creepy. She was good at the creepy. She was mm-hmm. creepy, but she was also funny. There's a mm-hmm. few funny moments. And that's King, too. There's always going to be a few funny things. Um, I so think he writes his kids well, like Spiel- yeah. Spielberg does too. Yeah, like Spielberg movies, I can watch the kids because he brings a level of like adult Agreed. humor, Agreed. and sophistication. Mm-hmm. Where a lot of directors and writers don't know how to write kids that well. That mm-hmm. adults will go, "Oh my god, I remember being that age." And that's what he does. That's what King does too. Yeah. And I love that. Is like with it, it he takes you back. Yeah, I mean the character is multifaceted. I mean, in the book, you you're you literally follow her from birth. Right. So there's there's so you know to do it well, you have to give her that complexity mm-hmm. to make the end result, you know, the third act really pay off. You have to you have to really care, <laughs> obviously. Right. Um, so I wanted to uh, play the trailer for Doctor Sleep for those people who I don't know. It's pretty good. I'm going to keep our mics up. So if you want to say something while the trailer's playing. Like sing over it. (laughs) Or watch it with me. I don't know. Whatever you want to (laughs) do. I'm going to play it right now. Here's the trailer for Dr. Sleep. When I was a kid, there was a place. A dark place. They closed it down and let it rot. But the things that live there... They come back. Not many ride the bus this far north. You're running away from something. (gasps) 
away from myself, I guess. Hi. You can hear me. You're magic. Like me. I don't know about magic. I always called it the shining. The world is a hungry place. A dangerous place. These people, they hurt people like us. These empty devils, they'll eat what shines. And they noticed that little girl. Oh, hi there. Get out of my head! Yeah! I haven't felt power like that in so long. They're coming. Where are we going? There's a place. You sure you want to do this? I'm ready. You run, dear, and then I will find you, and you will scream for years. Come play with us forever and ever. Yeah, spooky. I don't know why it got bad reviews. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. I guess some of the reactions might be because it's not your stereotypical horror movie. I don't know. So here, here's my thought on it is that we have started to shift back into liking horror movies that are actually creepy with well-developed characters that, you know, make us scared because of who they are. Um, I mean, the lighthouse, a different, different move. The haunting of Hill House actually is mm -hmm. certainly one of those things where, yeah, of course, there's the occasional jump scare and there's creepy things in the shadows and all of that. But mostly it's because you get to know these people and you care about them mm -hmm. and then you're scared as if you're with them. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, yeah. And I don't, I don't know that. I mean, a lot of the horror movies are not like that these days. <laughs> or for the last 20 years, maybe, you know, an argument could be made yeah. that we've, we're in, we know we've gotten into, um, which we also talk a lot about on the show and love, like the slashers and the sort of one hit characters that are just going to get killed. <laughs> that kind of thing. There is that. But I think that the, most people who go to watch The Shining are expecting a thriller, a psychological thriller with. Deep I would think characters. so. So it's like, I don't think these are the same people going to watch Happy Death Day. Right. So it just surprises me. And I, maybe I'm missing something or, or I'm, I'm the ignorant audience that doesn't see how bad it is. I don't know. I just felt like I was really captivated by it. And I thought the way that they brought both films together, they made it enough of a standalone film, but also made it super relevant to the original film I don't, I yeah. don't know. I like it. I hear it. you. I hear you. I mean, so let's let's do this. So just to orient us, the Doctor Sleep is an adaptation of the movie by uh, I mean of the novel by Stephen King, but it's also a sequel to Kubrick's The Shining. So one thing you got to mention or or kind of talk about is that I think, I mean, Flanagan had this, to me, this huge 
thing to try and achieve because King and Kubrick are widely known for not having agreed on how The Shining was. Right. Um, I'm going to play a, a clip a little bit later of King, an interview that King did and where he, you know, talks about it a little bit lightly, but there's plenty of interviews where he wasn't that light from back in the day. Um, so, I mean, he's got King fans, he's got Kubrick fans, and he's got his own, you know, substantial talent and agenda, I'm sure, with what he wanted to do. Um, so, I don't know. It seems like a huge thing. I know that the original script for Dr. Sleep was written by uh, Akiva Goldsman, who is the guy who he wrote uh, like Batman Forever, Cinderella Man, um, he, uh, A Beautiful Mind. All good movies. Yeah, and a bunch of other stuff. So I think he won the Academy Award actually for A Beautiful Mind. But anyway, and then it didn't get produced in that particular uh, you know, I haven't read that script, so I don't know what that script revealed. But mm -hmm. then uh, Flanagan came on and took over and and rewrote the script and directed and edited, et cetera. So it just kind of went on, which is really common in yep. Hollywood for people to do that. So and what ended up happening was um, he had to. So, OK, so The Shining, The Shining ends with um, the boy and his mom surviving and Jack Nicholson dying in the cold and basically the hotel freezing over, mm -hmm. right? Um, now, the book, The Shining, ends differently. The book um, ends with the hotel burning down. Okay. And so what what essentially what you're getting in this movie is the original ending, ending. to the first book okay. except you've got abra our new young person basically playing the part of danny and you've got ewan mcgregor who's danny grown up playing the part that jack nicholson would have played had the original I movie see. been like a direct translation or whatever or adaptation so then in the original book mm -hmm. The Shining. Yes. Mm -hmm. Does um, does Jack's character is is he still vilified? Like because in the way that this is, like their relationship's okay. Yeah, I mean, some of the there's. A, I'm not exactly sure what you're asking, but maybe this will answer it. So um, he does. You know, there's that moment in Doctor Sleep where Ewan comes out of trance for lack of a better the shining whatever for lack the possession that's what the, that's the word i'm looking for he comes out of the possession enough to warn abra and tell her to get out um that happens in the original book too so there's you you get the sense that and i'll just call it jack nicholson but <laughs> um you get the sense that he's warring with that and then he goes to the boiler room and blows a plate you know like that whole you know not exactly, but basically the mm -hmm. place burns down. Um, here's the interesting thing, though, is so you're Mike Flanagan and you've got to figure out what to do with Dr. Sleep. And what you're doing is you're looking at the book, Dr. Sleep, where the hotel has burned down already. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so then you're thinking, well, how do I what do I have a kind you know, where's my climax? So, you know, moviegoers are going to want to go to the hotel right because we've yeah. all been waiting for that waiting right for it. Yeah. which i think you know before i go into how the book ends or whatever 
I think that you tell me if if you agree with me. I think the movie does a really good job of, you know, act one and act two being very solidly in this new world with Abra, who's the new Danny, for lack of a better title, the young person who has the shining and developing all those characters, having this new story with these new villains. And then the act three, the climax is like the fan service, you know, like mm-hmm. service to. Yeah, 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 yeah. That had to be in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, yeah, did, what did you think about the fan service thing? Were you, <laughs> what, did you feel served? <laughs> I did because first of all, I don't think they overplayed it. Mm-hmm. So they used it. I thought, thought they used it appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially if you're seeing it in the theater yeah. and we saw it on the big IMAX. Oh, that's right. So we were in the IMAX there, there theater. There were a couple of, it was shot so well. That there were actually a couple of times I got dizzy because you feel like you're flying over Colorado and all that. Um, so visually it's stunning. And then I think if you're familiar with the original and how you felt when you watched the original, there's that nostalgia and that fear that sets in because I think I had turned to you mm-hmm. and I'm, and, I'm like, okay, here we go, because all the ghosts are about to be unleashed. So you're prepping for this mm-hmm. moment. And so for me, it worked. I yeah. thought it w- it didn't seem overplayed to me. No, I, and I think that's what Flanagan did really well in the way he paced the script and, of course, his great directing. But the way he paced it was that he wasn't giving you the fan service in the beginning, no, he, he he built this whole world mm-hmm. so that when we ha- there's that moment where they arrive in the snow mm-hmm. and they're looking up at mm-hmm. the at, you know the overlook, and as a fan you go oh you know you're like yes it's we're back at the you know and that's great even if you've read the books, you want to you want to be in the hotel. Mm-hmm. So even though you, if you've read Dr. Sleep and you sort of know that it's a different kind of, they still go to the site of the mm-hmm. Overlook. It's just the hotel has already burned down. So, right. you know, they're not in it. But this is visually, right? right? He's in the visual medium. So he's like, I got to give it to him visually. Yeah. Plus, I have to honor, I have to honor the Kubrick fans. And I have to honor the Kings fans. Right. King fan, Kings fans. Yeah. Talking. <laughs> the King fans. Um and I just thought that part of it was really well played, well done. Yeah. That that I, I do believe that this has the the ability to serve both audiences, even I though they've so always too. kind of been against each when other. When you read, because I saw that there were bad, or, you know, they're losing money or whatever. Did yeah. you he, Did you read any specific, like what, why people thought? No, I haven't read any. Um, like bad reviews or anything. Okay. Just not I, I just try the, not to before we not, record. But, okay. It's but, just not getting the audience they want. It's just that it's, yeah, it's they're maybe the movie costs too much. I have no idea. I just know that they're projecting a certain amount of money and they haven't gotten that yet. And they were projecting a certain kind of opening, which they hadn't gotten yet. And he, that they're thinking they're going to lose like 20 or 30 million. I think the shining's <laughs> old. <laughs> so it's not like yeah. uh, you're going to only get a certain I don't know what they were expecting, and I, I don't, I'm not saying this disrespectfully because The Shining is a classic, but yeah. you know, it's certainly not. So, if you look at like the new Halloween that came out, mm-hmm. it did really well for what they expected. Yeah, because Halloween's an old. Yeah, it's it's an old. Um, what do you call it? Um, well, franchise. Franchise. Thank yeah. you. So 
what it made for their expectations because mm-hmm. I thought it was really great the new Halloween and what they did with mm-hmm. it as well but their expectations on it were and probably probably cost a hell of a lot less to make oh sure but the shining's old like it's yeah. not like there there are yes. teenagers going oh my god that resonates <laughs> with me I need to go so I'm not really right. sure what they were expecting to make yeah I don't it's hard to know I also I, think it's not really hyped fair like so Kath, there's one theater that Kathy and I usually go to um to watch our movies <laughs> we have a and there's six we theaters. have a routine and that movie theater was actually not playing Dr. There's, Sleep there's six theaters in that movie compared to the 16 we went to and those six theaters always have the the newest films out yeah like Joker's still playing there yeah I mean it's it's not like a small theater no no it's a big the it's a big brand theater so I remember I text Shannon and I was like it's actually not at that one <laughs> I saw that and I was like maybe I'm you know, I overlook things all the time. I was no. expecting you to send back like, yeah, it's actually there. You didn't yeah. look right. Don't be dumb. Yeah. Um, but no, no, it was at the crappy movie theater down the, down, down the, the way that we had to go to, which was fine. Mm-hmm. It was fine. But, um, but I think it speaks to yeah. the lack of hype. Yeah. And I honestly, I think if it were not for you mm-hmm. being such a King fan, I probably would have seen it when it came out yeah but i don't know if i would have known to even go see it in the theater yeah you might not have if it wasn't you know if we weren't doing this and you might not have seen it opening weekend kind right. of thing you or, might have or waited like, i would have or... been like oh that came out yeah. yeah because it's not really getting yeah i'm not seeing the hype either so yeah. so we so i guess you know what we're kind of saying is maybe they didn't put the money into you know with joker <laughs> it's the same they're both warner brothers right so I think if you compare it to it, which mm-hmm. is also Stephen King and yeah. also was made a long time ago. I think the difference again is there's something about the clowns and the kids that resonate more with, you don't have to be connected to the Tim Curry mm-hmm. to go watch. And you know, then you have Skarsgård who looks so frightening. Yeah. So it drew people in just as a horror film. Yeah. It's different, but not because it was an original Stephen King, like the shining. No, not necessarily. So, Although, I mean, you could look at Pet Cemetery this year and mm-hmm. it made tons of money. It was very, very, yeah. you know, but it was also a lower budget movie than it this was. movie. So, but it made a bunch of money. So, yeah. I mean, a lot more money, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, there's a couple things I wanted to mention that were in the book that I thought you might dig. Um, one of the things was that we really follow Abra who is the young person with this ability, these psychic abilities, which they call the shining, which in the second half of our show, we're going to get into more psych stuff around um, child trauma and um, psychic abilities and addiction, et cetera, which are some of the themes in this story, but we'll get into that in the second half. But I want to say you follow Abra from birth and there's, these moments when her parents start to figure out that she's, you know, touched as they used to say in the old days or has some kind of ability. And there's several, there's several reasons why they figure that out and they take her to a doctor. And actually the doctor is really um, unusually caring and understanding about it. Uh, I don't know that all doctors would be like, Oh, psychic ability. Excellent. You know, (laughs) but one of the things that was super interesting is that when she was a baby, 
she cried for days and they could not figure out why she was crying. And it was one of those moments for a parent that was just like, oh, help, you know, my kid is crying and she will not stop like days on end. No one's sleeping. They've checked it all out medically. Nothing's happening with her. And then the um, the Twin Towers go down in the book. Interesting. And she stops crying. So that sets up um, something really wonderful, which we do see in the movie, just just not as poignantly, Mm -hmm. is that she um, is sensitive to trauma and pain and other people's, um, you know, part of having the part of having the talent of the shining is that you can touch people or get in their heads and feel all of their pain. So she was literally predicting or psychically predicting the twin towers and probably trying to tell someone, right. You know, and also experiencing the fear and the pain of that future event. Like she was with the little boy in the movie. Exactly. Which I just want to say real quick. Yeah. Um, just to make a quick note of that for mm-hmm. people who haven't seen it, there's a lot of triggering moments with um, kids in this and that scene mm-hmm. where they they do what they do to him. Yeah, was much more um, graphic than I thought it would. Yeah, be. the villains in the movie torture and kill a young boy. Um, the villains, what they do is is they feed on the steam meaning the emission from a person's body, which is, um, you know, CGI steam coming from your mouth or your body energy from other, from kids who are also have the shining. So they feed on these touched kids, um, and kill them to emit their steam in order to survive. Otherwise they would die. And that's how they live longer. They don't live forever, but they live longer by feeding on the steam. So mm-hmm. kind of zombie psychic people, yeah. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. But, but, um, but yeah, that, that scene reminded me of what you were saying though, is her ability, yeah. ability to feel that intense pain and try to get him out of it mm-hmm. telepathically. She was connected to that. And that yeah. happens all through the book and all through the movie. There's all these things where, you know, her and Dan, who's Danny Torrance, who's all grown up, mm-hmm. um, who also has the shining skills. And we'll get into it a little bit later, but, you know, has tried to use addiction to alcohol to, to mask. numb those yep. things, which, you know, you can't really, can't really blame them. Um, one thing I would say is I would, I would personally recommend that you see The Shining before you see Dr. Sleep. If you haven't seen The Shining for some strange reason, yes, it could be a standalone movie. It's not going to make as much sense, though. But it's not going to make as much sense. The last act is not going to be as exciting for you. You know, like, it just... Uh, I, I personally would not recommend going into it as a standalone no. movie. I mean, just... Give yourself a five-hour miniseries, basically, because mm-hmm. the first movie is like two and a half hours too. Mm-hmm. So just and it's worth it. It's really worth it. It's a good story. Especially it's an for the winter. Arc. Yeah, as if you oh, were getting sure. snow right now. For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, as the as that season starts, I know that this week uh, in our world it's really cold in a lot of parts of the country. So maybe it'd be a good I don't know good movie time. Um, all right. 
we're going to take a little bit of a break and then we will come back with more about The Shining and also some of the other things I mentioned with the psych aspects. So we'll be right back. Kathy and I can be reached on Instagram at Terror Talk Podcast, Twitter at Talk Terror, or on our Facebook page, Halloween All Year Long. If you prefer email, it's terrortalkpodcast at gmail.com. So reach out. If you like us, you can help us by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes, or check out our Patreon page for extra content and more behind-the-scenes discussions. We upload new episodes of Terror Talk every Wednesday and new episodes of Shrink Chat every Friday. Keep coming back, but first, stick around for more of our show. Hi, we're back. We are back. <laughs> I had to reach over and turn off the fan. I realized it was... It was still on. Running hot, running hot in here. Here I am, turning off the fan. Hello, we're a very professional setting here <laughs> on the Terror Talk. Um, while we were breaking, I looked up, kind of, Kathy was kind of saying, like, why, why didn't it do well or whatever? And I was kind of looking it up. And the one article I found said that the, the Warner Brothers execs were just as sort of baffled by the movie because it was well-reviewed. This is what I'm reading. It was well-reviewed. It was had good audience polls. Um, of course, there's big stars in it. And they're a little confused as to why it's bombing as well. As far as bombing, yeah, bombing how a gigantic movie that makes millions of dollars can bomb. But yeah. um, I think part of it's the expense, like you said. They have to mm -hmm. make up for it. Because you can tell it was an expensive movie to make. Yes. Uh, they also talk about kind of what they call the late breaking uneventful campaign. So there was no tee off to the horror fans at San Diego Comic-Con. They didn't, which is normally what they would do with a big horror movie. Uh, the two and a half hour runtime, they sort of talk about, uh, which generally doesn't work for your average horror fan, basically, I guess is kind of what they're saying. Um, so I think those kinds of, um, publicity events like Comic-Con and different things have become really important for um, press yeah. to talk about your movie. Yeah. And like you said, you're not even sure you would have known right. it was around right. if I didn't know or if I wasn't, you know, looking at it because I'm just a geek or whatever. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I don't know. I was thinking maybe that was... <laughs> I was reading during the break, I looked at the book because it's sitting in front of me. And uh, in the very, you know, there's a lot of AA in this book, actually. There's a lot of AA. And there's, mm -hmm. you know, because Danny, what we find out is that Danny has obviously grown up, and that's Ewan McGregor, and the way he has uh, managed the unsettlingness of having all of these abilities is by becoming an alcoholic, like his dad. Mm -hmm. So that's... And at the very front page of the book, uh, there's a quote from... It's like an old AA saying that says fear stands for fuck everything and run. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, that's kind of, I guess, how Danny's been living his life. Um, Kathy and I have both worked in addiction treatment and I reckon, you know, there wasn't a ton of it in the movie. Mm -mm. In the beginning, you can see he's pretty down and out and he's, you know, vomiting and sleeping with people he shouldn't and doing a, a kind of a spiral downwards in the book you get more of that he's got like a sponsor and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff so it's a little different but um 
There's also the fact that psychic abilities really play a role in this movie, right? And now, whereas we don't deal with a ton of that in psychology, they're not psychological uh, constructs, Mm -hmm. but in this movie, there's several different kinds of psychic abilities, right? Yeah, and I just, I think that the, his psychic ability is clearly, I think, in most people who can identify with some sort of, you know, psychic, I know people in my life who have it. Um, I don't know to this extent, but mm-hmm. we'll say that it's a, ble- a blessing and a curse. Um, and I think that it also fed his addiction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, going back to the AA piece for a second here is the discussion around like living life on life's terms. Mm-hmm. And this certainly did not allow him to ever really be in control of anything because yeah. it always it's already hard enough trying to find control in our lives when we don't have telepathy or, or (laughs) psychic abilities. But when you don't have a, and I know that there are mediums and psychics who will say, just like as therapists, we have to be able to, um, you know, self care enough that we're not taking in all of this stuff when we're not working. But I would imagine that a lot of his, um, we know he has trauma and all that, but I think a lot of his reason for drinking and masking and numbing was that ongoing, imagine having this gift and never being able to just live your life. Yeah. I imagine it could make you pretty suicidal at times. Yeah. Um, Especially if you didn't have anybody in your life that understood it or cared for you or anything. But now, so what we also know about after The Shining, the story moves on and where he actually ends up living with his mother until he's about 20 when she dies. Right. So Danny technically does have someone that understands, loves, and supports him and um, validates mm-hmm. basically his his reality, which, as we know, is a huge precursor to feeling a little bit better. Now, yes, he still becomes an alcoholic, but he did have somebody in his life that... And he also said, too, uh, in the movie, which I thought was a great um, way that they use psychology, was talking about how that was the the shadow side of his father was the side that the only side that he could ever connect to his father. So it's like Mm -hmm. that's all he knew of him. And that therefore those were the the character traits that he adopted mm-hmm. in a, in a sort of sick and twisted way to feel connected with him. And I thought that was cool that they well, we see that. that all the time. We right? do. But the fact that they, he, his character actually said that and announced it and talked about it and it was brought up rather than just it being this yeah. um, underlying piece that you and I would have gotten right that he talked about it. And I thought that was cool. No, it's yeah. fantastic. It's it, because it makes so much sense too. It, it makes him a more well-developed character. It makes mm-hmm. him, you say that's me, you know, and that's what they want audiences to do and say, Oh, huh. That's really interesting. I wonder what negative traits from the parent that I felt disappointed me. I wonder what negative traits I'm connecting to as a way of connecting to someone who abused me or abandoned me or what have you. Yeah. And I think that it also, um, as he starts to get healthier, one of the things that we look at as clinicians is developing insight. Mm -hmm. And so when he was able to make that connection, Mm -hmm. when he was presented with that temptation later on, he was able to look at it and go, I'm not you. I'm not going to be this. I don't. And that's what we hope for our clients is to be able to have that insight and, and that, um, 
the discipline to say, I'm not falling back into that and I'm not you. And and they did a good job with that, I think. Yeah, I think some of our the newer movies these days are really getting, well, it's good for us, but maybe that's why we, we are getting so into this is that a lot of the newer movies are getting much more psychological. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think one of the things that Flanagan does really well is he's looking at the, he's not just fixated on trying to have you jump in your seat. He's he's working with um, the people in the movie and their reactions to the horrible things that are right. going on and how they're scared. Right. And then we're in them as opposed to just trying to spook the audience. And yeah, of course, there's some jump scares and different things in this movie, but it's not all about that. It's those those kind of happen, but um, mm-hmm. it's more about the characters reacting the way we would react and then we're scared with them which i think is really cool yeah um Mm -hmm. i know that this this (laughs) this book almost wasn't uh i mean he might have written it eventually but i know that uh he talked a king king is who i'm talking about stephen king talked about um the idea for this movie like a sequel to the shining Mm um on a like on a promotional tour or something and i read that it was during an interview at a theater and he was talking about the idea about how, you know, Danny Torrance would be in his forties and he'd grown up and he'd be working in a hospice with terminally ill uh, patients with, you know, that would aid that his extraordinary powers, like his powers would be, you know, an aid to them in their dying. Yeah, I really liked that. And I feel yeah. I have this on my notes too, because King has this really cool, way of talking about death Mm -hmm. and there's always you know he he doesn't decide for the audience what we should believe Mm -hmm. but he certainly always leaves that door open of there's something after this Mm -hmm. and there's nothing religious about it there's Mm -hmm. not it's just more like like when she when the mom comes back at the end and Abra's talking to her and she's like he's fine and there's more after this yeah now and now so that's an ending that uh flanagan wrote Mm mm-hmm um, and isn't the isn't the ending and isn't in the book to my to my recollection. Mm-hmm. Um, the the movie is nice in that way. It gives you that mm-hmm. um, that lovely ending with the mom, which I think is. And you know, King signed off on the script. He read the script, and it, I feel like it falls in line with his yeah. the way he writes. Absolutely, too. yeah, uh, absolutely. So so he talked about that he pitched this site or not pitched but he was talking about this idea in this interview and he actually i guess went on i don't know probably twitter or whatever and and asked people to vote or his website i think it was probably on his website it was like 2009 so it's probably his website where he went on and he asked them to vote whether or not they wanted a doc you know dr sleep the sequel to the shining or if they wanted a new uh, dark tower novel and so he let the audience decide on his website. And it's funny because the the sequel, Dr. Sleep, only won by about 50 votes. Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I read this. I, I'm assuming it's true. I read it in a couple of different places. That mm-hmm. that's, and so then that was how he decided which book to write. Now, he probably would have written both, you know, eventually, because he's obviously very prolific. Yeah. But that's why it came first, I guess, before the Dark Tower novel, which is kind of cool. So I guess by way of talking about the psychic stuff a little bit more, I wanted to mention that in the book, which I realized wouldn't have been particularly cinematic, so I understand why they didn't go this way. But in the book, Abra and Dan, 
meet in an astral projection for the first time. Okay. So the first time they have contact, he's like in something and then she kind of comes in and he's like, wait, who the hell is that? You know? Mm -hmm. And it's sort of, they meet in their minds at first, which I think is pretty cool. And then later when there's the writing on the wall where there's like, hello, Mm -hmm. et cetera, he's like, are you the person that was in my head? You know, that kind of thing. Um, so I would call that particular ability that they both have as astral projection. Okay. Right. So, which is, uh, it's an intentional out-of-body experience that assumes the existence of a soul or consciousness called an astral body that is separate from the physical body and capable of traveling outside and around in the universe. Interesting. So I, I'm aware of this particular phenomenon because when I was a kid, my mom used to be a hippie and <laughs> she would talk about stuff like this. And she told me once actually that she, she felt she had astral projected, you know, Think what you want of her, but it was the seventies. So, um, she told me that one time she was laying in her bed and she opened her eyes and she saw herself hovering above mm-hmm. her. I've heard, I've heard people tell yeah, me that before. I've too. heard other stories mm-hmm. like that too. I just remember when I was a kid, her telling me that story. So in this movie, uh, both Dan, the, all the villains, Abra, mm-hmm. everybody can astral project. Mm-hmm. So there's several times in the book, many, many times in the movie where, the villain will astral project across the world to confront, you know, whoever Mm -hmm. and vice versa. And they do it physically, which would be astral projection, but they also do it in their minds Mm -hmm. too. Right. Mm -hmm. Which would be, I guess, telepathy, right? um, Yeah. That scene where Rose, the hat is flying over the universe or whatever. She's flying over the planet, but she's up in the universe. That was a really cool scene. Yes, yeah. very cool. There's and, a lot of really interesting visuals. <laughs> and another reason to see it in the theater, and we saw it in IMAX, you feel like you're flying with her. You totally do. In the IMAX, you yeah. did. And I had forgotten that it was IMAX. You know, we have such quality movie experiences yeah. these days. It's it's always kind of good. It's so, I only notice when it's really crappy, like yep. when, I, when I'm in a bad theater. Yeah. But yeah, so telepathy would be the other thing we're describing, which is the transformation of information from one person to another without using words right without using regular sensory channels meaning visually or auditorily or speaking to someone right. so it's like basically when people in the movies talk with their minds they can read yeah there's the scene where she's sitting in the classroom mm-hmm. and she's reading everybody's mind yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. stuff like that uh, they also talk they also state and show that these the people with the shining which is what all these abilities are called um are also telekinetic i was just gonna i was going to ask you i'm like there's another one because i was mm-hmm. trying to think of um Firestarter. yeah they're telekinetic uh, which yeah she right can move things she can move things with her mind um, she used that quite a bit in this one. Too. Yeah. And I guess in the movie, the first sort of instance we see where the parents and everybody are realizing her true powers is when the, all the spoons are on the ceiling. Yeah. And that's very visual and cinematic. So I understand why they they use that. In the book, there's multiple things that happen. Mm-hmm. That scene does happen. Mm-hmm. Um and it actually instigates her going to the doctor because the doctor and the parents, I think, are the only three people at the party that see it mm-hmm. <laughs> and are like, bring her in on yeah. Monday. <laughs> That's not normal. <laughs> Maybe we should have a conversation. <laughs> this seems scary. Uh, I think the other thing that they do that I would add to this is they channel. 
Mm-hmm. So not only are they moving through space and time as souls and speaking to each other in their minds, but they're also talking with dead people, mm-hmm. which is, I would say if we wanted to name it, it would be channeling. Like when you see in the movies, you know, the scary charlatan that's going to take your $5 and talk to your dead grandma. Mm-hmm. Um, like a medium, a medium They're cha- and they're cha- what they're doing is channeling. So anybody maybe that has the actual talent, I'm not sure if that's, that's, cap- a, you that's know. another thing. I like the, how the, um, what, it, what is his name from the original one? The, the black guy who Dick Hall, Hallivan, how, wait, I'll look it up. His, char- his, his name's Dick. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> How it, it sort of passes the torch yes. down, you mm-hmm. know, where now Danny's responsible for doing that for Abra. Yeah, that's the end. other sweet thing about the movie ending that, of course, isn't in the book because mm-hmm. the book has a very different ending, which I am I am aware that earlier we were talking about the ending of different things. And I intentionally didn't say the ending of the book because it's different and... You should read it, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a payoff. There's payoffs to the end of the book that they could not have done cinematically, yeah. which I'll just I'll say that much. Mm-hmm. And so it's a different experience. The book is definitely a different experience. Even if you watch the movie, it's fine because you'll recognize some of the things in the book that are in the movie. But it's a different it's a different story. It's a different third act. It's a different climax, etc. So we'll just go with that. Um, I'm looking up. The Shining guy's name. <laughs> it was Scatman Crothers Halloran. Dick Halloran was his name. Um, Scatman Crothers played the original um, In the dude, original film? And now they have, yeah. of course, a new guy yeah. uh, playing. Which, by the way, the that. the new cast for the older characters was mm-hmm. uncanny. They were... Yes, yes, yes. They did a good job, like, making them look like the original actors. Yeah, they had, like, a Jack Nicholson lookalike yeah. play the bartender in the it Overlook was, Hotel, which was super cool. <laughs> it, it was Shelley Duvall's character is the one that really, to me, looked a lot like her. She was, like, a better-looking version yeah. in a way. I mean, yeah. Shelley Duvall was... Not as strung out. Yeah, and I, I always thought it was a really interesting choice, Shelley Duvall, in the original, because it was... She's so creepy, when Kubrick hated her, they had I know. Such a horrible... Oh my God, the stories. Ugh. He, the stories I've he read abusive. and heard, he was incredibly abusive to her yeah. on the set. Which, you know, he was. It was a long time ago. He was trying to say that that was how he was. Well, I don't know what he, he said about her crazy. it, but he was driving her crazy on purpose so that she would be on crazy on film. Yeah, well, and that's just not necessary. No, not, not to that <laughs> level. Like we're going to make you film that again and again and again and again. Well, and be incredibly mean yeah. and abusive to her, which, you know, not necessary. Oh, Kubrick was a, a hole. You know what I also liked about this movie is uh, how, so maybe this is something that some horror audiences might not be acclimated to uh, is the with King. There's a, I guess you'd call it like a meandering. There's a meandering of the characters for the for when you're getting to know them, you're sort of like, and now we're here and now we're there and now we're looking at this and now we're looking at that. It doesn't exactly follow a really stereotypical um progression i guess or super linear i mean the movie makes sense i'm mm-hmm. not saying it doesn't make sense but like no the feel it yeah i know it's very mean. king like like shawshank redemption yeah. does that where you have these really small moments in time where they're having these intimate conversations 
And then you're having gigantic climaxes and, you know, with hotels bringing down and stuff. But you work towards that. Yeah. You have these, it's very King-like to have these, to just really get to know these characters in an intimate, small way. Mm -hmm. And then slowly build on that and get to the climax, which I, I don't know. I kind of like that better. I like that. Yeah. I think that's why the two and a half hours didn't feel two and a half hours to me. Maybe not. Because I felt really pulled in by the characters. And I always say this, but I I know I like a show or a a movie if I kind of feel like I'm there with them. Yeah. Like that I know them. Yeah. And I feel like they did that, that Flanagan did that with these guys. Absolutely. I felt it was, yeah. I agree. I want to play this clip of Stephen King talking about the movie in an interview. Um, And then maybe we have a, comment about what he says or whatever and then we'll wrap this up unless you've got other stuff let me play this clip okay this is stephen king on uh abc i think maybe the morning show let me play it hopefully an ad doesn't play first (laughs) but we'll see just count five seconds and you can skip it we'll see here with stephen king the master of horror is breaking new ground with his first sequel ever dr sleep it brings back Danny Torrance, little boy with superpowers from The Shining. Stephen, thank you for coming in it's this pleasure. morning. Nice to see you. Why'd you bring him back? Because I never forgot him. Basically, um, I've written about a lot of characters over the years, and uh, their stories get told and then kind of filed away. I never had any urge to go back and find out what happened to, say, for instance, Paul Sheldon from Misery. <laughs> but. Uh, Danny Torrance was such a little boy and he survived such a horrible experience at the Overlook Hotel that I kind of, time would go by and I'd think, I wonder what's going on with him. He'd be 20 now and then it would be, he's 25 now and 30 and I wondered about what happened to him. And I used to get asked sometimes at uh, signings and stuff, whatever happened to the kid from The Shine? He had some struggles, ended up in AA. Uh-huh. but was also leading a pretty quiet life, just helping people, but gets drawn back into that struggle mm-hmm. against mm-hmm. evil. Well, one of the things that interested me, and one of the reasons, the big reason to go back, was uh, he had come from a situation uh, where he had survived an abusive father uh, who was also a drunk. And we know from experience that a lot of times people in those situations have a tendency to repeat what they grew up with and uh, you know a a kid like that will say well I'm never going to be a drunk like dad or I'm never going to be abusive to my own kids the way that my father was to me and then they find themselves uh, repeating those scripts so I wanted to talk about that. How do you deal with the fact that so many people have that movie in their heads have Mm -hmm. Jack Nicholson in their heads have everything that they saw there which isn't exactly Uh what happened in the book. Uh Yeah I think of the novel The Shining as being the true history of the Torrance family in the Overlook Hotel. I've been asked a lot about the the Kubrick movie and basically it is what it is and that's fine and I know that it has a lot of people who really really love the movie but uh, I said in the afterward for instance in Kubrick's movie the Overlook Hotel freezes and in Stephen King's book, The Overlook Hotel Burns, but that was the difference in temperament. He was cold and I was warm. Ooh, that is a good one. But you're, and you are a woman. There's actually a lot of warmth in the book as well. You know, the whole theme of family mm-hmm. uh, shines. Well, you know, you, right you, you can't scare people unless they care about the characters. If the characters are just cardboard cutouts, it's not working. But if they do, then you can 
scare the hell well, out of them. If anyone knows how to scare people, it is you. I'm sure it's going to be. <laughs> so that's such a true statement. So true. The, we talk the about thing that at the a end lot. There, the scary thing. Yeah, we talk mm-hmm. about that a lot. Where yeah. the more the multifaceted the characters are, dimensional the characters are, then you can attach to them. Absolutely. And um, yeah, you see how he kind of mentions the Kubrick thing. He's like, let's leave that behind. Yeah. But that's yeah. the big difference because that was the big um, description of Kubrick's The Shining was how cold and desolate and isolative he he wanted to make that movie. And mm-hmm. that's not kind of what King's about. Right. <laughs> His For him, it was a family history. And mm-hmm. he, he even says, you know, you, you got to flesh out these characters so that you care about them. Yeah. And, you know, he's talked talked. Um, agnosium about his problems with that movie yeah. and that's not to say I didn't love the movie because mm-hmm. I did and it's mm-hmm. cult status it's just a very different than the book mm-hmm. the feeling of it you know um, and then what he says about childhood trauma and the repetition of that and addiction yeah, that was great yeah and and you know I don't know not that we need to validate King but it's like I can validate we can both validate that that is true it's 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 they played out it's in the data. They play it out or they become victim to it. One or the other. That's right. So that's our discussion of Dr. Sleep and The Shining and all we went all over the place a little bit. And now we are going to do our, after the break, we're going to do our What the Hell segment. So we'll be right back. Hi, everyone. We're back uh, with our What the Hell segment. Oh, I was just saying, what the hell is... Okay, so we both have a story. This is what happens in What the Hell, if you are new to the show. We each bring a true crime, usually a stupid criminal type story that makes... When we read it, we said, what the hell? We just we get very confused by how these people approach crime, I guess is all <laughs> I could say. So we don't research it or anything. We just find a, a story we think is funny and we bring it. So... <laughs> Kathy's already giggling at hers. She's been reading just, it over and over again, giggling. So why don't you tell us? I might us? be the only one who finds this funny, but okay. you just have to be a complete idiot. Okay. Okay, tell the story. <laughs> Louisiana woman is wanted for second degree murder. And she's apparently unhappy with the photo that the officials use on social media to help bring her into custody. Mm-hmm. So she decides to vent. And she says, that picture, ugly, quote, unquote. (laughs) I've actually read, I think I've read this one. (laughs) Her name is Precious Landry. Oh. She is still at large at the time. She comments on her mugshot uploaded to the St. Martin Crime Stoppers Facebook page last month. Wow. Precious Landry, you are, this is how they respond to her. (laughs) Because she responds, that picture, ugly, to her own thing. They send back to her, Precious Landry, you are always welcome to head over to the sheriff's office and take a new picture if you want, Crime Stoppers responded, or you can just wait to take it when someone turns you in to collect the $1,000 reward. Soon after the post was updated to say Landry had turned herself into law enforcement, she says, thanks for all your tips and information. Oh my God ridiculous that picture ugly that picture ugly <laughs> come on in uh, uh, come on in and respond to the warrant of for your arrest. second degree murder <laughs> oh my god not funny that part's not funny oh okay so not the brightest bean in basket are beans in baskets I whatever don't, don't all right what so here's my story we're back in florida <clears throat> uh <laughs> 
Fucking Floridians. <laughs> we often we often go to Florida for these stories. A Florida couple, and there's pictures. It's not pretty. <laughs> a Florida couple have been accused by police of fornicating in the back of a patrol car oh, mere moments after they were charged with biking while intoxicated. <laughs> <laughs> like bicycle? There's a lot in that sentence. A bicycle or like a motorcycle? It says biking. Okay. Oh, God. So there's this a lot to unpack. A disaster. There's a lot to unpack in this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the scene is that it's nearing midnight. So in the middle of the night, these people are in their 30s. I'm not going to say their names because even though it is in the article, oh, they were riding their bicycles along a street in Fernan Fernandina. Mm, interesting. That's a beach. Uh, the report indicates that neither bike had lights on and that a motorist nearly struck the pair. So they're drunk <laughs> and biking in the dark at midnight with no lights on. The deputy who stopped them said that they smelled of alcohol and slurred their speech. The report claims their eyes were also bloodshot and watery. Field sobriety tests followed, and they were they allegedly failed. The policeman put them in the back of the patrol car. So that's just the first part of the story. The deputy details that he was still outside of the vehicle when they allegedly disrobed and started having sexual intercourse in the oh back of the patrol car. I feel like that's more than alcohol. Uh, you mean they were on other stuff? Entirely possible. A little e. Perhaps something, yeah. Um, the deputy said he opened the door to tell them to stop, <laughs> and noticed that the male was completely naked, and that the woman's pants were down and her breasts were exposed. The report claims that <laughs> that they were removed from the vehicle. Um, <laughs> How? And then tried to run. <laughs> oh Sorry. my god. Just it says the article says that they hit the ground and fled, sparking a brief foot chase. Can you imagine? Oh my god! Oh my god! With, this is the naked guy running yeah. away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So both submitted to a breathalyzer. Uh, looks like the female's blood alcohol was like 0. 0.6 or thereabouts. And so not legally drunk, actually, I think. Actually, I don't know the laws in Florida, so that, I won't speak that's to that. Why, that's why I'm saying like... 0.06, If, if you were mildly drunk, yeah. let's just say, which that'd be pretty sobering to get arrested. So like For you're sure. on something else. I, it feels like it, right? So, so the female was 0.06 and the male was 0.14. Oh, wow. And it looks like the legal limit is 0.08, just like it is in yeah. California. Um, so one of them was charged with a DUI. Oh, this is the male. Or mm, I'm not sure, actually. <laughs> he was driving I'm trying not bike. to say their names, so I'm getting confusing yeah. myself. But the article is using their names. So one of them was charged with a DUI exposing sex organs unnatural and lascivious acts i love laws and resisting without violence the resisting would be fleeing naked down the highway perhaps so and then the other one was charged with threat against a public official unnatural and lascivious act exposing sex organs and a dui oh boy there's just so much there <laughs> like you said a lot to unpack there's a lot to unpack there i think we've said it all uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Terror Talk. Uh, next week is our first episode of Richard Kuklinski, the Iceman. Ooh. We're going to get into that. 
a mafia hitman. And yeah, so this is Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Terror Talk. If you enjoyed this show, there are two things you could do for us. Subscribing and sharing our episodes on social media, as well as writing a review on iTunes. Plus, you could check out our Patreon page. Don't hesitate to contact us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We upload new episodes of Terror Talk every Wednesday and of Shrink Chat every Friday. Until then, goodbye and have a pleasant tomorrow.